It's a long road when you're on your own, and it hurts when they tear your dreams apart. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe was almost here, but he couldn't make it. He had work. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, Every now and then, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is our September 2019 commentary track for First Blood, the original film that started the Rambo franchise starring Sylvester Stallone in anticipation for the upcoming Rambo colon Last Blood. So we've taken it back to the the beginning here. And uh, joining me to go over First Blood... This evening we have, from Why So Blue and the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast, he brought all the required body bags, it's Brandon Peters. Hello. Also joining us from Forbes, he won't let it go, it's Mendelssohn, First Scott, Part 2. <laughs> Always a pleasure. How are you both doing this evening? Not I'm bad, doing not well. bad. Good. Glad to have you guys both here, glad to be going into this movie. I, uh, I feel like you two have more fandom for the Rambo franchise than I do, so I'll be, I'll be happy to kind of sit in and talk with you guys about the... Uh, the, the the film that that helped change modern action cinema to to varying degrees. Uh, this one, Regardless, let's 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 go over what we're doing right here. We're doing a commentary track, which means that uh, Scott, Brandon, and I all have the film uh, currently set to get going as soon as we hit play on our respective players. Uh, if you plan to watch the film along with us talking over it we for brandon and i we have like the 4k which i think is the same as the blu-ray uh well it is because i'm using the blu-ray uh where there's a logo there's a studio canal logo and then we pause it 25 seconds in so it's where the mario kassar and andrew vajna percent logo is on the screen uh, that's so. a new blu-ray the mm-hmm. old one is a straight up Lionsgate one studio canal text or logo on so there's that extra like 17 seconds yeah so Wherever it goes, the Mario Kassar presents part, that's where you want to have it paused. And when we count down from three, we'll press A, go, and then we'll press play. Everybody that's just listening, you didn't even have to hear that part. You can just be like, all right, whatever, I don't care. I'm just going to listen to this commentary. Uh, so, with all that said, you guys ready? Yes. All right. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. <sighs> so... so- Scott's yeah. older than this film. I'm the same age as this film, and the film is older than Aaron. <laughs> Put that in your IMDb fact page. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> um, all right. First Blood. When did when did you first see this movie? Or I guess what? Assuming you didn't see it in theaters, when did when did you see this movie in relation to the sequels to this movie? Um. I'm pretty sure I saw this one somewhat after seeing the second one, both of them on you know USA Network, slightly edited for content before I was allowed to see uncut R-rated pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually how I saw a lot of quote-unquote classic 80s and 90s and, well, not 90s, 80s and you know, 70s genre fare. Robocop, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, et cetera, et cetera. I wasn't always allowed to see them, you know, uncut until I was a little bit older. But, you know, since my parents, I guess, trusted the TV network censors, you know, editing for content wasn't an issue. And then it wasn't until, you know, later when I started watching them uncut where I realized I didn't miss much. Yeah. I, I saw there were three Rambos when I saw them. It was in the, probably the 90s, somewhere in the middle. Um, 
but they they were all been released at that time. But I mean, I was fully uh, consciously aware of Rambo from a video game and a cartoon series. That, uh, but everybody, everybody knew who Rambo was. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong because I knew who Rambo was, and I don't think I've actually see. I don't think I actually saw First Blood in full until after I saw Rambo, the fourth film. I don't think I ever actually like sat down and watched the entire movie. Certainly at an age where I can you know interpret it properly, uh, until after I saw the fourth Rambo film, mainly because I had an idea of what they were, um, as far as which is based off the sequels. And we've talked about this before with how kind of something like Lethal Weapon, where the second film really gives it like what you think it's known for versus the first film, which has more going on in a different way so like in relation to this film obviously this is a much quieter more focused film that has its bursts of action what have you compared to the second and third films which are you know giant action cartoons uh the epitome of 80s action spectacle alongside commando and schwarzenegger's vehicles uh so i had seen rambo which i was not a fan of um and then i eventually saw first blood and i am a fan of this movie and then I eventually was able to, and I've seen bits and pieces of the sequels as well, along with Hot Shots, where I got it very confused. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I was like, wait, which one's, where's Charlie Sheen factor in all this? But I eventually saw the sequels as well, and the sequel certainly gave me what I already knew to be Rambo as far as, okay, so these are just like big macho movies. And I'm sure that comes from things like The Simpsons, seeing clips here and there, and just... UHF! And, UHF, the cartoon, and just the imagery. Like there's a there is an iconicism to Rambo's like especially in the sequel, his just kind of, you know, Salone shirtless, bandana, bow and arrow, or a giant gun. Like there's a lot there that's 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 stuck in time. Like it's 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 uh, mm -hmm. has a you know cultural reverence re relevance. I mean you had like I mean he's one of the most iconic figures of the nineteen eighties and he hit the cult culture in a big both uh, in the entertainment culture and political culture, and like a huge moment that like capitalized it and became like the poster child for it. And he's, I mean, he's more, yeah, a human with a Stallone, you know, he's Stallone, but he's there with like Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger as like fictional characters that There's were huge <laughs> in the in the era. I mean, you got Rambo. I mean, it's just everybody knew what it was or had an idea. And that's what the funny thing is this. This movie, this first film, which is quite good, um, and I think it's one of those that surprises people when they actually sit down to watch it. I think a lot of people think they know what it is uh, based off what the sequels have produced, kind of like series like that you get like a Jaws, will people think, or even the Rocky series, they think you know they know better, and they sit down and watch that original film from Lowe's, and they're like, oh, wow, this is actually really good. And I think this one definitely gets overshadowed by what the second one does. So Just like... Just like we talked about Lethal Weapon, the first one's quite different than what the rest of the series produced. Yeah, the rest of the series leans on the comedy, and the rest of Rambo mm -hmm. leans on... Or the, the second two, particularly. Even the, the fourth one does lean on the action as well, but, the, but it certainly has more... I don't know. I assume focus. Scott, I know you're a bigger fan. You could talk, we can talk about that later. But the second <laughs> two certainly lean on, you know going way big with the uh, <laughs> with the spectacle versus the kind of introspection that this first one has. Um, we talked all over the first scene where Rambo, where John, uh, John Jay, uh, realizes that his, you know, the last member of his unit has died. Um, what a different film this could be if he was still alive and they just hung out together. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they um, just had that sense of peace that he was looking for. Well, there kind of is a movie like that, and I wish I could. It stars Robert De Niro, and it's called Jackknife with Ed Harris and Robert De Niro. And basically it is. It's, it's about a, a NAM vet who's doing okay, and one of his old buddies who's a little bit more unhinged and a little more rattled by his experiences comes to visit him, and it's basically their you know dramas together. Oh, yeah, I see it now. Uh, Ed Harris has a mustache and everything. Yeah. I'm into this. Um, <laughs> he's, and, a, he's a brown, he's a, he's a Boston guy. I guess, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I never made the connection until right now, but yeah, that almost plays out like a, you know, as you said, what if Rambo came to town and the guy was still alive? Mm-hmm. Um, Is this movie good? It. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's worth a watch. Ed Harris got a Golden Globe nomination, so it's got that. I mean, yeah. Ed Harris is never given a bad performance, so that helps. But um, um, he's great, Night Riders. What fascinates me about this whole series is, with the arguable exception of the third one, they're all very cynical and downbeat and pessimistic pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as the second one was used as as you know a jingoistic prop by you know ronald reagan among other people you know even that one is a very downbeat and cynical picture oh, yeah, um, the, the, the government's the bad guys yeah. in that one to a degree yeah um and you know i i i, I guess i never at least when i was younger and i was you know, less i guess more naive you know i never understood the film's reputation as you know republican propaganda when you know, in the film's narrative, the Republicans were in power. <laughs> if the government is corrupt, well, then who is in the executive office right now? It, it wasn't Bill Clinton. Um, wasn't Michael Dukakis. The born in the USA of cinema. Well, that, yeah, that, makes, that makes me wonder. I mean, yeah, exactly. That, that makes me wonder, like, does when does that start? When does that kind of association start? Does it start in the 90s or does it start concurrently no, with the started... movies? With First Blood Part Two. No, but I mean, like, so oh, that so that regard comes along with it at the same time, or does it catch on? Or do yeah. people think back to that? No, no. It, it Ronald Reagan embraced that that film, okay. as sort of America's revenge, where we get to refight and rewin the Vietnam War. Okay, so people. And, so I mean, you're just telling me that basically, like, the people that are dumb on on Twitter have always been dumb. Like that's oh, <laughs> as far as absolutely. not as far as not reading any further into something. Yeah. And to be fair, ignorant, I guess, is a better way to put it. Not dumb. It's not like, you know, to my knowledge, Stallone came out and said, no, 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 that's not what this film is about. You know, no, he's embraced the reaction because it was mm -hmm. good for him. Yeah. I mean, these Rambo, I mean, along with the Rockies, these Rambo movies were like his only hits at this time. Yes, they were. He was he was bombing. This saved him. Yeah. This was the first hit that he had that wasn't a Rocky movie. He'd already made two two Rockies of this two. Right. He was making three at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the films that he made after Rocky, which, you know, were dramas, because Rocky's a drama. They made, you know, Victory, um, uh, Nighthawks, Alley, Paradise Alley, Nighthawks, Nighthawks which is terrific, but it didn't mm-hmm. do well. Um, Rutger Hauer. <laughs> Fist. Yes. Now, Fist, yes. And, you know, well, yeah, he's certainly, between... like, I mean, we, we look at Stallone and you think, like, he's the action guy. And, yeah, obviously he did a number of, he's done a number of action movies. But he was, he is also, he is, not it was, he is a filmmaker. He, like, yes. he, he does have a screenplay credit on a lot of these, a lot of his movies. He, you know, he directs. He, he even, like, ta- hearing him in interviews, I'm always fascinated with hearing him talk about the process of filmmaking compared to just, like, 
you know, nostalgic reflecting on like classic one liners or what have you. Like he's so in, he seems like such a little kid when he gets to talk about like using the camera and getting behind the scenes and stuff. And I find that to be fascinating. And like, it's, it is, a, it's somewhat of a, I mean, it doesn't help that some of the movies just aren't very good, but it, it is a shame that he wasn't, he wasn't making hits outside of the Rockies yeah. franchise to get, get kind of steer him oh. continually in that direction. Cause I, I do think like in this movie specifically, he is a good actor. Like he can make mm-hmm. it work. He, like he has a, a sort of a range that he operates within. But I think when given the opportunity, he does a really good job with that range. Um, and I would argue it was really wasn't until, you know, frankly, you know, Rocky three and First Blood and Rocky four and First Blood Part two that he really started seeing the stereotypical machismo Stallone character, something like Cobra or Over the Top or. You know, Tango and Cash. Yeah, you got so a up lot to of... that point, he was an actor who occasionally did what we would consider action films. I mean, and this might, you know, Brandon might do this more than me because I mentioned this comes up in the Publicade podcast. You know, you know, 1982, a movie like First Blood comes out. Is there really the notion of an action star other than maybe Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson? Uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, sure. Clint Eastwood. I mean, yeah, there was. And Norris, I mean, I don't think was Norris really huge uh, at that yeah, point. I think he's more—he's like a Statham of the '80s, yeah. Where, where like people know him, and there's certainly a, a section of people that want to see his movies, but it's never like he's never been a breakout star, as far as I know. Um, because yeah, but you know, if I recall, Missing in Action is a very similar plot to the first to the second Rambo film. Yeah, they were trying it to beat it. Beforehand. Oh, I didn't know that. They were trying to beat it to the to release. Yeah, it was a real um, octopusy, never say never again situation. And the first one, the first one was actually um, sh- shot after the the second one. The second one's the actual first one. It's it's a real <laughs> weird story with the missing in actions. But let's let's take a break from the chronology of Stallone's career and what he's going up against to talk a little bit about the movie that we're watching for a second because we're at the point where now Rambo is he he's stubbornly not left the town of hope. And so Brian Dennehy, who I think always has looked old, um, he's like he has Steve Martin's disease where he just seems like he's always been an older man. Um, He's now arrested Rambo. Rambo's being held in custody here and he's starting to get flashbacks because of his PTSD. And uh, And it's intense stuff. Looks like a preteen David Caruso. Yeah, right. I was watching this. Like, mm-hmm. I was. I I watched this again in preparation for this for this episode. I was like, oh, it's, is that Caruso? I was like, no, it's not him. But boys, he have a distinct like a schlock of red hair right there. Um, the cops in this, mainly this guy, who is fittingly the only guy that dies in this film. Um, yeah. they're certainly not directly caused by Rambo. Not to, yeah, indirectly. Yeah, indirectly. By Rambo. Indirectly. Yes. Yeah, they drew um, first blood, not him. Um. The cops. I mean, I guess. It, I mean, it's certainly trying to hammer home the uh, the idea of like what people, the regard that vet that Vietnam vets specifically have. But man, are some of them like just 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 rude and mean and well, brutal. And and again, you know, part of this is you know the first film versus the second film and all that. But again, you know, politically speaking, this is a movie about a a, a war veteran who gets abused and harassed to the point of violence because everybody thinks he's a long-haired hippie scum because he's got long hair and he wears ragged clothes. And yes, there's a subtext that, you know, Korean War Korean War vet doesn't think the Vietnam War was as genuine, you know, as, as 
worthy of a conflict. She thinks less of him, even though they're both veterans. Well, it's also a matter but, of the people forgot the Korean War and they're very yes. focused on Vietnam. And that is, I mean, yeah, there, there is like, a, I think there's a, I know you can see like some of the medals that Brian did. He has to kind of show that he is a Korean War yes. veteran, but there's also, I believe, like a deleted scene or so that like kind of makes that more explicit. So you're very aware that this is part of the problem that he has. Um, yeah, it's much more present in the book to give those that sort of, I don't know, bitter rivalry or whatever um, to add to him. And I, I imagine anyone listening to this commentary already knows this, but in the book, he goes to war in the town and kills about 250 people. Yeah, yeah the, the book uh, is a, a shocking, shocking discrepancy between the number of killers. Bit of a departure. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 the idea was that in the novel, you know, you have a Vietnam vet who is abused and harassed and pushed to the breaking point who basically, you know, recreates the Vietnam War in a small American town. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, you know, the war comes home. Um, obviously, this movie is very different in that sense. Although, you know, it, it, it's, it's again, it's more of a survivalist drama than a, you know, a horror film, for lack of a better word. I mean, we'll get to it, but, like, there's a good yeah. 20 minutes that become a slasher film, essentially. <laughs> like... Yes. No, yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, it is a survival thriller. Like that's that's the main yeah. kind of that's how it's operating, and I mean, talking about how this kind of not necessarily changed action, but but it certainly had an impact as far as how we're seeing the hero portrayed, where you have a man who instead of instead of him telling the audience who he is or whatnot, we're having a lot of talk around him. We're having people put impose their view on him. Yeah. And even when Troutman comes in, he tells us about Rambo. Rambo himself is not one that's, like, spelling out everything, mainly until the end. Like, he doesn't say much in this movie. Um, He had a Fu Manchu back in Nam. Uh... That was part of their torture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, I had a thought, but I lost it. You know, the, the, I mean, the, the, with the um, which we'll be talking all about on the next cult semi cavalcade. The, the the second one and Commando were really the two that flipped the script on the action game. I don't, I don't. I mean, this one's such it's kind of its own thing. I know missing an action would knock it off, but um, like, I mean, those two 80, movies they they popularized. They popularize a different kind of act, like something that's just really throwing it at you and like emphasizing the shots of the guns and the bullets and yeah. the explosions and whatnot. Like, yes, I'm not denying that those movies certainly had their own sort of impact, but I do think there's a there's a separation that comes with this movie versus other action movies before it, where you have a big macho guy who is also very, presented to be very vulnerable and doesn't have to, you know, do a whole lot of speaking to really like compared yeah. to. Because I mean, it goes on from there to give you like art. Because Arnold's coming into his own at this point too, right? He's done Conan at this point. He's got Conan he's building and Terminators the... after this. I mean, but yeah, he's, but he's and that's partly because of just him being Austrian. But he doesn't get a lot to like do or say. But he imposes his figure. Here you have a guy who we know already because of Rocky. He's imposing his figure, but he's doing it while also allowing us to like see him cry, see him be vulnerable, see him do these things. And I don't think we're getting a lot of that at this point. It's a very Stallone thing, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there is a... I mean, you can lump these guys together, but I do think there's very very significant differences in how their movies work. I know, like... Uh, the, one Venn of the, diagram, I mean, the Venn diagram is Commando and Rambo and, ben first, and Rambo First Bill Part 2. Yeah, because, I mean, before Stallone, I think, like, Pacino was somebody they were... 
yeah. looking at for this. So Gino, and he turned it down because he wanted him to be more of a madman, which reflects yeah. more of the the book, I, I suppose. Um, that cop is cr- like he's like I'm gonna pull out the gun and shoot it in the middle of public just to get this guy. This car chase is fun for like 1982. This is like a mm-hmm. fun like motorcycle car chase where you get a lot of like low angles to show like the intensity of these cars driving on the streets and Rambo's going over hills and the cop cars going over hills and whatnot. I mean, really, it, it shows the type of talent that would land this director weekend at Bernie's. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like um, this this huge well, slow motion jump right here, and then the cop car—you get this great low angle right there. Which I believe the stuntman was like injured the first time they did it. That's like three different shots they had to put together to make that work. Well, and this is still at a point, and you know, for a while, where you know the mere presence of action was impressive because you knew to a certain extent it was real. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it was coming off I of mean, the '70s, which like introduced us to a lot more like yeah. grounded, re- like realistic action sequences involving like cars doing stunts and stuff with like Bullet and French Connection, obviously, oh. among others. Like you know, there was a lot of car chase movies in the 70s. Uh, and yeah. You know, I, I... No, go ahead. No, no, no. Was... Well, I, I think to a certain extent, with the exception of the James Bond films, there have been sort of a slump in terms of size and scale of present tense action movies for a while. And it wasn't until you know, First Blood, and then eventually, you know, Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, that sort of the present tense action movie kind of made a comeback. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about this before. Like as Bullet, far as... which is mm-hmm. basically a drama with one big action sequence. We, 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 we talked about this before as far as, like, like Batman ruling the world as far as, in the 90s, as far as, like, he, things that have huge budget and scale to work with, where I think the 70s, just because of how... Uh, how different that period was versus kind of the epics that were coming out of the 50s and then more uh, things were shifting in the 60s. Then you get to the 70s where you have like, you have Dirty Harry. I mean, that you have, I mean, mm-hmm. those are more, those those I'm... aren't as, those aren't huge budget. And then you have like sci-fi yeah. things kicking in. You have like dystopian stuff kicking in and martial arts kicking in. So it's like, yeah, Bond is the only like, yeah, big live action thing that has a huge budget to work with. Um, on that, on that and kind of action, and I think that's level. part of why First Blood Part Two stood out. I mean, it was huge compared to mm-hmm. most everything else. Did it hit um, a box office? Quickly, what was that? Did it hit a box office record? Uh, it did about I want to say like thirty-two million in the first six days. This, uh, it this Memorial Day weekend. This car flipping uh, over right here, by the way, the car flipping over was not planned, but the director oh, liked geez. it so much. And so they're like, all right, stick Dennehy in there. And we'll just go with it. <laughs> like, that was, that was what they they had. Going. Um, and I think just to a certain extent, you can argue, at least in modern times, that first blood part two was the first breakout sequel. Cause that's that you had a film like this that did pretty well. I, you know, I, I should have box office mojo up, but I don't. You know, I think it did like you know forty five, you know, somewhere between forty five, fifty million dollars domestic. And then the second one, three years later, did you know insane numbers. It did twenty five opening weekend, you know, twenty opening weekend, which is one of the fifth five biggest openings of all time back then. Did one hundred and fifty domestic, three hundred million worldwide. Um, and it's you know you, you didn't see that kind of sequel growth, you know, up to that point. Obviously, the concept of a sequel was a somewhat new thing. That's the other outside factor. of yeah. outside of you know, yeah. Panther and James Bond. Well, and just like the distribution patterns were so different, where something like yes. I don't know, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, 
like it's such a you know 67 69 like it's such yeah. a it's such a different kind of era, period as far as how people were seeing like those you know the other Clint Eastwood movies and they weren't even like really pronounced as sequels until like Good and Bad the Ugly came out I believe right like it's has kind of formed into like its own franchise based off just like well Clint Eastwood's playing a guy in a western again I guess that's like that's part of this thing well, that's what uh, this would bring about too. I mean, when you had uh, when Rambo and Commando, uh, the second one and Commando take off and launch Stallone and Schwarzenegger into big action stars and create room for more guys that they become the franchise rather, and they'll have their own franchises within, but they are the franchise. And the other thing is like the you know some movies just frankly are <laughs> they were super huge to begin with like Empire Strikes yeah. Back was not going to top Star Wars because Star Wars was a phenomenon. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I think how did Temple of Doom do compared to Raiders? Like uh, less, but yeah, you know, one seventy nine versus two forty two, and that's part of the like because it's a darker <laughs> sequel and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's like you said but, between I mean, the rarity of sequels and just the fact that some of these huge movies were so huge the first time around, there was no room <laughs> for them to really go from there. But I mean, like the rule was, I mean. I mean, up until recently, like the sequels, unless you were like, unless you were James Bond, you know, you spent, you spent, you spent less money on them because yeah. you expect less money. Plan of the Apes, man, those goes down to like, do, like just like two twenties <laughs> and a couple quarters for the final one. And then like during this era, you're seeing the Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Streets where the budgets get less and less. Does Rambo three blow up from two? Uh, uh, financial, commercially, no. It, 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 I want to say it did 58 million domestic, did about 180 worldwide. It cost 65 million in 1988, which was at the time the most expensive film ever made. <laughs> um, and it you was, can, you know, the money's on the screen. It was beat um, by Beaches. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was beat by Crocodile Dundee on opening weekend. Crocodile, Crocodile Dundee 2. Crocodile 2, sorry, yeah. yes, 2. Well, that 2 was, is uh, like yeah. the number six movie of the year. Rambo yeah. 3 is number 16. So, you know, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, this yeah, movie uh, opened the same weekend as Halloween three season of the witch. Oh mm -hmm. no. It must Atkins be versus Stallone. Oh, put them <laughs> together. Um, rain man was the number one film of 88, by the way, yep. what a time to be alive <laughs> where, yeah. where rain man is the number one film of the year. Right. <laughs> um, this is 82, which is, you know, one of the biggest geek years of all time. As far as it like, is the... that summer is insane. Yeah. Um. I should follow up by saying some of the many movies that opened that summer. E.T. obviously was huge. <laughs> Rock, Rocky Three coming out the same year as as um as First Blood, Star Trek Two, Poltergeist, Conan, Friday the Thirteenth, Tron, Blade Runner, Fast and Times, The Road Warrior. The Road Warrior. Don't is a... get yeah. Make Force. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, mm -hmm. the, the best thing, little whorehouse yeah. in Texas. That's the film that displaced ET at the top of the box office after like three months. Hmm. We forget how huge Burt Reynolds was, and Dolly, yeah. and Dolly, she Dolly, was big. Yeah. And I didn't realize this until I it was for a post that I did yesterday. Smokey and the Bandit opened the same weekend as Star Wars. Yeah, of course it was. This <laughs> is a redneck Star Wars, man. Yeah. Um. And, uh, we don't need yeah, that. Yeah. We'll see Luke Skywalker. We just need a Han Solo. Um, <laughs> Spaceships. We got Trans Am. 
I guess um, Road Warrior is probably like something of a breakout sequel, right? Uh, by comparison, I'm by sure. Because compar- like Mad Max, you know, was made for like four dollars like, in a soda can. Like five so. meters or whatever. Yeah. Um. And. But that's probably a movie where people didn't even see Mad Max because they couldn't call it yes. Mad Max Two because like people are like, "Who the fuck is Mad Max?" Like, <laughs> right. You know, in over in certain overseas markets, they call that Mad Max Two. I well, I know, like every, no, America's like, I think the only place that's called Road Warrior, but where else it is called yeah. Mad Max Two? I think even, um, like, the, even the credits say Mad Max Two, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um. And yeah, up until there was a period from around '99 to. 2008-ish, where you would have sequels that would vastly outperform or significantly outperform their predecessors. Uh, but up, other than that decade, that was a rarity. I Unless mean, it, you had a film that started small. Die yeah. Hard, Lethal Weapon, First Blood. Um, but, you know, when you feel... You know, the first Star Wars is the biggest. The first Batman was the biggest. The first Police Academy was the biggest. The first Friday the 13th was the biggest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, it was weird because uh, with with the uh, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Star Treks, those were like the what exception to the rule. They weren't diminishing. They like grew to a certain point and then just kind of yes plateaued or started sinking down. Yes, actually, both Star Trek and Nightmare on Elm Street peaked at part three or, or me, four. Part four, four, and then the yeah, Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, the third one was the biggest, and then the fourth one kind of held. It was less, but it was right in the area of that one, and yeah. then it started dropping. So um, we got Rocky on the side of a cliff here, and we have the very yes. terrible, the, the very terrible cop now, like taking pot shots at him. Uh, <laughs> this guy's so unhinged. Like he, I, I mean, I could only assume he's also part of the Korean War, like with Dennehy. Like it's just because he's really mad. Like he just does not like this the situation he's in. Obviously, Rambo also beat him up at the police station. That doesn't help either. But yeah. here we are. So it's a good say it's that, a good so stunt like... coming up here because I like watching this the other day. I was like, oh yeah, he like jumps off a cliff. Like that doesn't look easy. <laughs> just this ridiculous um, jump from a mountain. And you know, for what it's worth, they they make you know they make him unsympathetic enough that you're not that sad when he dies. Well, well, he, has rather, to, he has to tell the pilot that he's going to kill him. Yeah, That's exactly. where you're like, all right, so you can go. Kind of, uh-oh, Rambo's in trouble now versus, oh no, this man just died. Um, yeah, right here. Like, this is a, like, that's a person. Like, that yeah. doesn't look easy. <laughs> and he He's scared. The, yeah, and then this part right here is Stallone. He actually goes into the trees and he, like, broke a rib doing this. Like, oh. yeah. I mean, Man. he. The He's almost up there with Jack Chan in terms of on-screen injuries. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, Brandon, the coverage, you're right. Like, it's, yes. this, is a, this is a well-made movie. Like, I, It's not <laughs> easy to shoot in these, like, mountains, woods. Yeah. And, and, and put, just, put a helicopter here? Like, that's not easy. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. And this movie costs money. Like, I think it went over budget, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they mm-hmm. had a, it, like it was like $8 million, and then like, they, like, doubled it up to 15 or something like that. It's like, this wasn't a... It wasn't a picnic to make this movie, and it was probably freezing every day, like, shooting in the Pacific Northwest like this. I mean, just, yeah, this shot, like, with the helicopter, and then the good, yeah. I mean, it's got some awesome drive, I mean, flying of that helicopter, too, it's just... Yeah, because it's one long take, and it's like, there's no CG here, you can't just, you can't map this in later, like, you have a whole right. helicopter in the middle of a mountains. you know, the wind goes wrong, or somebody takes the wrong move, and the helicopter crashes, everyone dies, like, that's not simple. 
Fortunately, John Landis was nowhere to be found. I was just yeah. going to say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for our Twilight Zone, the movie commentary track. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're John Landis, most people know when to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, here it goes. Well, unless you're John and Landis or, or Max Landis, people, people know when to stop. <laughs> Good rock throw, though. I mean, rock, you know. This uh, performer actually gave his life for this movie. <laughs> um, that's how cold it is, right? All that steam, that's cold. That's what that is. Right. This uh, poncho he's wearing, this is like a thing he actually did find in the woods, and he's kept it. He used a knife, and he actually made this poncho. Yeah, yeah. Cut some holes to... Yeah. yeah. Um, it is... And I, I'm sure there's good writing on this if I were to look for it, but the notion of people having obviously bad experiences in Vietnam was a very efficient, effective, and almost convenient way to give your 80s and, to a certain extent, 90s action heroes a certain depth in this era. Mm -hmm. Or even something like, you know, Taxi Driver, which, you know, he never really says that Vietnam screwed him up, but that's the implication. Yeah, we know it is. Like, there's a lot of similarities between this and Taxi Driver. Yeah. And uh, even the first lethal weapon, you know, oh, yeah. Murtop and Riggs both have are very much affected by their experiences during the war. And Busey, of um, course. Yes. <laughs> um, less so in the sequels, but that's you know again, it's it's it's. I you know I like all all the lethal weapon films, and the second one is very very good, but the first one really is, you know, to a certain extent, it's a drama with action as opposed to the sequels, which are action movies with drama. Real quick, uh, Rambo's going to do a lot of cool stuff coming up, but this is the most macho thing he does in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where he makes it, he sews, sews his own up. wound, just sitting there, no way, not biting it's an impressive anything. impressive effect, too. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I was Chris surprised, Mulkey. I was surprised that the trivia wasn't that he accidentally sewed this to himself. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've seen that in other movie trivias, but not this Ew. one. Yeah. Oh, um, I got to look it up. Uh, but it's it's somebody sewed something to somebody else on accident. It's like it went they went too far in. Uh, oh, I've never watched Yugi Loves the Big Balloon Adventure again. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Rambo kindly suggesting that we can just work this out and I can turn myself in, and everyone shoots at him. <laughs> he said I didn't do anything. He had he was unarmed, but here we are. Um, now there's actually a very good commentary track after you're finished listening to this one. Uh, of course, yeah. Uh, from the author of the book on. I assume it's all that. I was on the first DVD I bought. I assume it's on all the others. Yeah, it's on um, this. And the Stallone track and the, uh, and the author track, yeah. He argues that this film was basically the first nonstop action movie of its time. And to a certain extent, he's correct. You know, after the 15-minute you know, mark when he breaks out of jail, with the exception of a couple scenes where Richard Brian Penny, it's pretty much all incident. Um... It may not be "quote unquote" action, but it is, you know, you know, Rambo, you know, making his way through the forest, trying to heal himself, making shelter, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in that sense, this film barely stops for about a good solid hour between his escape from the prison and the final monologue after he's surrounded in the police station. It helps that this is a relatively lean picture; it's ninety minutes yeah. without credits. Like, okay. there's it's not a, there's not a ton of filler. In this thing, and it was apparently three hours. 
yeah, and there terrible. Was, that's version. the other thing. Yeah, there was a Stallone. Stallone thought this movie was going to ruin his career because there was a three-hour version of this, and he like cut everything out of it, which I assume was a lot of just Rambo doing things to kind of give exposition and whatnot. Because I, again, what I think shapes this movie is the fact that everyone else talks around Rambo as opposed to giving Rambo, you know, like full lead status, who's con- you know constantly monologuing and talking to people or what have you. And to, Stallone, or, who would later do stop or my mom will shoot, mm-hmm. thought this movie was going to ruin his career. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, and and you know, this isn't. I mean, he was this... bombing nonstop, though. So I mean, I, you get it. Right? Oh, yeah, probably freaking out. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I just wanted to rib him there. Um, didn't test well until they changed the ending so that he doesn't die. Right. Um, Which is the book's ending. Yeah, and the book's ending. I think Trotman kills him. Yes. No. Uh, um, yeah. No. He, that's he, like, he kills himself, doesn't he? Uh, I oh, think God. in the novel, Trotman puts him down. You know. You know, kill me, please. Okay, bang. It's like a yeah, uh, okay. And then in the there is a deleted ending in yeah, very rough shape where he gets like shot. There's a couple of endings. He, yeah, yeah. Where he does he, he basically Rambo takes his gun, puts it to his chest, you know, pulls the trigger on his own, sort of. Point being, he dies. And it wasn't until they had him peacefully surrendering after the big monologue that the film tested well. But that's partially because, allegedly, because, you know, this is all secondhand information, the film as it exists played very well with people that had been in the war and were unable to talk about their experiences. Um, to a certain extent, not unlike how Platoon was received four years later. Um, now, the other side of that is that this film, you know, the whole soldiers coming back from the airport and being spat on by hippies who screamed baby killer at them is a myth that was started by this movie. Hmm. And considering, Interesting. okay. Cause that's something like I have heard. <laughs> like as far yeah. as yeah. Um, considering how toxic that urban legend has become, you know, this, this movie has something to answer for, unfortunately. Um, intentional or not. Cause again, this was, you know, a $15 million picture. It wasn't expected to launch a zeitgeist-shaping franchise, et cetera, et cetera. Well, where um, do you think that comes from? I mean, is it just still on, on his own improving? Like, literally, is it was it in the book? I don't know. Um, but I do know that even if it did happen, it wasn't something that happened consistently. Oh, for sure. I guess here's I another question, then. Sort of I... a... Mm-hmm. You know, maybe some one war buddy told a story of something that happened once and they put it in the book or put it in the movie and it became sort of conventional wisdom. But then that's someone's experience and you write from experience yeah. or something yeah, like yeah. that. So you can't. Yeah. Here's a here's a question oh. I have. Aside from Apocalypse Now, what are and like I guess Deer Hunter, when do like Vietnam movies really start kicking into gear? Because we do get a lot. We get a number of them in the 80s, for sure. It was that. It was then. 78, yeah. Coming Home and The Deer Hunter. Coming Home and Deer Hunter. That's like when it... Because Deer Hunter mm-hmm. was a hit, too. Like, I remember... I yeah. know Deer Hunter's, like, prestigious. Yeah. It, but it, it, as a, well, you know, three-hour-plus three, three plus war drama <laughs> with a lot of, you know, a lot of different things going on, uh, you know, and Shimino doing his thing and all the act. But it's also, like, it was a Did you know there's a wedding the in that movie? <laughs> I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> Is there a wedding in that? Does it? How long does it take? Like, five minutes? It's an actual, like, real-time wedding, <laughs> as if you're there, yeah. Chimita Chim- was well, like, hey, Coppola, look at this. <laughs> and then he, put, then he made his wedding. And then he goes to Heaven's Gate and he goes, 
Have you seen a graduation before? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it really wasn't until the late 70s when Vietnam the better you know, movies really Vietnam, started like, yeah. happening. Um, and even then, you know, it, it's Platoon was still a revelation mm-hmm. in its day. Um, I, I feel like the one like Deer Hunter... You know, it won Best Picture, and it was huge and stuff. I feel like that one's the one that's kind of not as well regarded as it was back then, compared to some um, of the others. Like it's I not think, in the conversation as much. Well, it comes well, up for certain scenes, but not for like as a whole. Like yes. Apocalypse Now is like a fever dream. Like that oh, movie, yeah. it has like, and it hasn't. There's a lot. There's a lot more one-liners in that movie where a lot of people just focus, I think, on walking. Like I think that's the thing. Yes. That, and the and the, yeah. and the Russian roulette stuff, which is only tangentially connected to the Vietnam stuff. I mean, it's like just the torture stuff. It's not like the, yeah, but I know what um, you're saying. I know what you're saying. For sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No one talks about the wedding, <laughs> but no, it, yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting with that. Like that, cause I, that was, I mean, when I was growing up, that, that was a big name movie that came up a lot and people talked well, about like, war movies too. Uh-huh. And, and I think it's, I think it's lighter on the war stuff. Oh, kind yeah. of. No, yeah. It, 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 yeah. I mean, it has the long wedding, and then it kind of, you get a, you get a burst of like De Niro and Walken and and uh, Savage in action before they get captured, and then mm-hmm. there's that, and then that's super fucking tense uh, for like, <laughs> but not like it's not it's more just because it's so tense, but not it's not doesn't take that much time. Then they get out, and then there's another like whole portion set to like what's happening afterwards. That's a great jump scare right there with Stallone mm-hmm. coming out of the woods. Uh, oh yeah, like this is what I'm talking about. Like this portion of the movie is basically a slasher film. He's yeah. not killing yeah. anybody, but he is basically Jason. Like that's that's what he's doing. Which you know, it, also it's not a knockoff because it came out first. But there was a uh, there was a B grade level movie called The Exterminator, which dealt with uh, Vietnam vet coming back to a town and finding corruption and stuff and taking it on himself to mm-hmm. you know exact law and justice and stuff not not too far removed from something like this but that did come first as well it's always it, I mean, it's interesting to me you know when you have a film like this that became such a huge part of the zeitgeist but you also have something that that was similar enough that came first that just didn't catch on comparatively mm-hmm. like black christmas versus halloween mm-hmm. yeah um um you know it's it's sort of like you know Black Christmas was was maybe invented the moonwalk, but Halloween was Michael Jackson. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, they also, I mean, I love where also... Stallone jumps out, pauses, and lets the guy shoot at him, but he's Stallone, yeah. so he can dodge the bullet. <laughs> um, I mean, we didn't we didn't have uh, via, the Vietnam movies we know yet, but uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper said he very much was inspired by Vietnam, and that's yeah. his sort of way of showing the cultural reaction and how it impacted American life. Have we done a Texas Chainsaw commentary? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I don't uh, think but we have. When we should. I, I re- <laughs> you know, I recently watching uh, the Apocalypse Now final cut felt mm-hmm. that that Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of feel within that movie. It was real it was just on my mind when watching it for some yeah, reason. That's a- it's a, it's not a, it's a, it's a good point as well. I mean, I, I, I asked the question about Vietnam films, but yeah, there are. I can, I can think of a number of movies that are certainly like made with that in mind, uh, as far as the filmmakers mm-hmm. are concerned and what they're kind of doing. And it's that, you know, that 
makes a lot of sense in the 70s where you get a lot of kind of grimier, grittier things that are focused on politics in their own way and have a lot of subtext that's, you know, coming through in terms of the visuals and evoking certain things instead of outright oh. stating them. I mean, well, Return I think, of the Jedi, even. Yeah. I mean, well, the entire crazy. Star Wars trilogy. Well, yeah, all of Star Wars, for sure. And even uh, a lot, I mean, you get a lot of dystopian films. And even the car chase, I mean, you're getting a lot of movies that are focused on, you know, rebels, essentially. People that are trying to outpace the system. Yeah. Um, I think it was the same way in the reaction after World War II that we had a lot of film noir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, a, a huge, you know, a cultural disillusionment. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned oh. the idea of like action star or action movies focused using Vietnam as a kind of a, a way to have a assumed backstory, and that I mean, that's war in movies in general. <laughs> like we have yeah. World War Two plays a big toll on you know how certain characters are written or what, and even how certain direct like John Huston or other directors how they kind of make movies after that. Same with same with Vietnam. Say, I mean, same with the with the war in Iraq. I mean, there's plenty. There's plenty there. <laughs> that's been reflected well, in cinema. And a byproduct of all this is we're getting in here in the 80s with these films, and the 1980s would have this nostalgia for the 50s a bit through the 80s and, uh, and hang over a bit in the 90s as well, which was the time like before Vietnam happened when thing you know because they were just coming out of all this horrible shit with Vietnam, so they all looked to the 50s, which was right before it, and now it's kind of odd that we're looking back at the 80s in a fond nostalgic way as if it was the time before the 9/11 and all that what we well, currently that, live in now well, that's why i have to wonder and i'm not the first person to you know w- you know we're in the i would argue we're also in the middle of a mid to late 90s nostalgia yeah for just that reason it was just you know right before the 2000 election right before 9-11 and everything that came after you know considering this culture is as nostalgic as it is where do we go after that <laughs> yeah that i mean that's I imagine it's, very it's, few people feel very nostalgic for the last 18 years. It's why I, I actually, like, my eyes brighten a bit when I see movies that feel very, like, 90s action movies. Like, yeah. the, John, like the John Wick films, honestly, feel like 90s action movies. I mean, yeah. it, it sticks out to me because I'm a child of the 90s. Like, I, 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 that's when I was growing up. That's when I was recognizing movies. Like, I was born in the 80s, but I, I grew up in the 90s. So I don't have 80s nostalgia. Like, it doesn't really do much for me to be like, oh, yeah, arcades and, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just like, They had them I'm, in the 90s, too. I know. But, like, I mean, to the degree that they show them in there and, like, you know, the hairstyles and the costs or whatnot, I was like, yeah, that's nice. That's a nice flavor of something and whatever. Some of that works and some of it's it chapter two or it chapter one. But I mean, the rest, like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm happier to see the nineties reflecting. It's like, all right, I like this Jerry Bruckheimer, Joel Silver era of action movies. I can relate to that. Like that's something I've seen in the cinema and I'm happy to see it come back as opposed to more poorly handled shaky cam or bad Michael Bay imitations. Right. Right. Well, that was um, a time of, you know, there was new stuff coming, like Michael Bay was coming out. There were the action genre was cha- making a shift at that point, which it hadn't since about you know the '80s, where they were turning the corner with Commando and First Blood Part Two, like this. And, and the big difference explore- is like you could have special effects that feel refined now because we have the technology to support it, as opposed to the '90s, mm-hmm. where you can still blend practical effects with some early, whether it's CG or just you, you heavier use of computers. There's, none of the seams are going to show anymore. So when you get something like, again, for example, John Wick, it's going to be very clean. Like There's not there's no yeah. real room for error at this point. Troutman has finally entered the film at 45 minutes. Uh, there is. The halfway mark. Yeah, Richard Crenna just jumps in in a perfect silhouette shot and just has all these like wonderful bits of dialogue that feel way over the top and heightened, but it kind of fits. They're written for really Kirk Douglas. So. He's almost in a different movie, but not quite. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it, it was oh. supposed to be Kirk Douglas, so I imagine that dialogue yeah. was touched by him, perfected by him, mm-hmm. and then yeah. given to someone else by him. <laughs> yeah, we, let's go over some of the, the, the casting choices they had. Kirk Douglas, yes, you mentioned, was for Troutman. Uh, he pulled out the last minute. The studio originally had a Lee Marvin as Troutman, uh, Gene Hackman as Brian Dennehy's character, and Chris Christopherson for Rambo. They wanted Chris Christopherson. Like they thought that was gonna be their. People rampant. forget how hot he was. Like he's a, he's a long uh, gone like superstar. Like he would uh-huh. think I was. Yeah, I mean his remake of A Star Is Born, Barbara Streisand, I think was one of the ten biggest grossing films of all time. It was, it was oh. a hit, regardless of quality. It was a yeah. hit movie. Yeah. And like what he um, had, um, was it, um, Alice? Alice doesn't leave her. Yeah, uh, the Scorsese. Movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wasn't I mean, there anymore. Like thinking, thinking to like Blade, it's like that was a get when that came out in the night. Like it's like, yeah, yeah. What, Chris Christopherson in like the Obi Wan role, cool, like great. <laughs> and like... you know, I, I, you know, Stallone is Rambo, yada yada yada. But Christopherson would have crushed us. Oh yeah, <laughs> I could oh. picture that. Yeah, he could he could play the vulnerability easily as well as the kind of macho machismo that's required without making it feel. You know, oh. he's not Arnold. <laughs> but I don't know if he, you know, and and. Partly just because of the work that I've seen him in, I don't know if he could have sold the superhuman action hero that Rambo would eventually become. And I think that um, comes that comes with Stallone's inherent charisma. Yeah. I mean, he's done, you know, the the third Rocky comes out this same year. People like, Stallone, yeah. regardless of how well his movie's doing, people like him, the persona of Stallone. Yeah, right. He's he's a he's a he's um, a likable person. He he does this thing. I mean. I, and he generally um, gets his way as far as how these movies go, since he has a writing credit on so many of them. Um, so it's by design, partially. And one of the things that I think is somewhat overlooked in these films is that for all the ways in which Rambo became sort of a catch-all code name for 80s machismo, he's a very intelligent person in these films. Mm-hmm. We see him, you know, thinking and and trying to avoid conflict and, you know, setting traps or not setting traps and, you know, he, you know, he even has a mini monologue in the second film about how, you know, the greatest weapon is the human brain or something like that. You know, he's no dummy. You know, he's an intelligent person. Um, and conversely, you know, as, as much as Stallone sometimes gets a reputation for being a Rocky Balboa type person, he is very intelligent in real life. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I know you mentioned this earlier. It's I love listening to him talk about his films. Even though, you know, like you, I'm wondering, like, how does, you know, especially the ones that don't work, it's like, he knows what he's doing. How come, you know, how did this go so wrong? Yeah, and, it's like, it's why I have so many questions about the Expendable series and specifically. Yeah. Where I know you, I think you like the first one more than I do. but I, I mean, do. It, but it, and uh, it, part, part of it's because, like, I, I felt like the movie's kind of in, in the middle of what it's trying to accomplish, where on one hand, it's it's tried to be this kind of like sturdy, like let's look at our sins, but also keep doing our thing. But at the other time, it's like, let's also have Terry Crews rock in with a giant gun and mow down people. And it's like, I, yeah. I, I, did, I wish I got a better balance of that. Cause I like Mickey Rourke giving a sad monologue at the mid, you know, the end of the second <laughs> act. I'm like, I mean, this is expendables. Do I need this right now? Like, I don't like, I, I need um, a, and then, then the sequels are like, fuck it. And like, it's like, yeah. well, what, yeah, did you, it's, what did you want I, to accomplish in all of this? <laughs> I think whether it succeeds or not, Expendables is trying to be Lethal Weapon, and the uh-huh. sequels are trying to be Lethal Weapon 3. Or Lethal Weapon 4. Fair, yeah. Um, Lethal Weapon 3 is actually kind of buttoned down comparatively. Um, 
and uh but yeah but no, he is, I, I mean he does he does let yeah he he is an intelligent person he tries to put that yeah. out there like it He's made a lot of interesting choices in his career, and I, I, I'm not going to say that makes him better or worse than Arnold, but like the way he talks about things, it does feel like there tends to be more depth in it. Where Arnold, specifically in his films, because obviously he has areas that he's more he's he else he's interested in elsewhere and involving politics and what have you. But as far as his yeah. movies go, he tends to you know he, he plays into the memes. You know, he like he just uh, says the tumor stuff and whatnot. He also, I would you know, simplistically speaking. I think Schwarzenegger was always very attuned to the business. Even yeah. before, you know, he was always hyper aware of overseas business way before that was conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, he would go and he would promote his movies, you know, in Japan and, and, and China and, you know, in the eighties, back before that was a thing. Um, and conversely, I think Stallone was, you know, again, simplistically speaking, art versus commerce sort of like, you know, um, so I think, Schwarzenegger was also a very intelligent person. It just his specialty was, you know, how do I make a, this movie in a way that will make it money? With the understanding that if it's a good movie, it'll be better off than it's a bad movie. I mean, it helps that they're charismatic yeah. stars and they have a lot of things that can generally work in their yes. favor. It's just, you know, basically the luck. Um, the lightning just sometimes strikes in the right ways. Yeah. Um. When does I mean I guess Stallone does sequels right away when he has Rocky in this movie, but like I was trying to think when does Arnold start doing like sequels? Because I guess Conan, and then Terminator, but like there was never a Commando two. <laughs> offhand, he didn't do that many sequels, right? I mean, part of it was because you know he does he does the three Ivan Reitman comedies, he does Terminator two, which makes him into the biggest star in the universe mm-hmm. temporarily. You know, he does a handful, you know, his last action hero, Eraser, True Lies, and then Batman and Robin, and then he has heart surgery. And then he's out of commission for two years. He comes back, and it just, you know, the world has changed. End of days, sixth day, collateral damage don't do very well. And then he decides, I'm going to run for governor. And he's Terminator 3, real life. Yeah, Terminator 3, which he made sure to be shot in California, which is one of the reasons it was so expensive. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he is governor for eight years. I mean, I get, like, it's not unlike, for, as an example, like Will Ferrell, where it was more about, we, let's just have me team up with the people that I'm good at teaming up with, as opposed to continuing to, like, sequelize everything. Yes. Which but, I always, I, I, I tend to admire about Ferrell's kind of comedic choices, where he's running the gambit, from, like, having Riley and having Vince Vaughn, like, whatever, in all these different comedies, and working with Adam McKay and whoever... Um, but without making it, I mean, it's not until Anchorman two where it's like, all right, let's do, let's do this again. Um, um, well, and that's, that's because, you know, as you said, and you're absolutely correct when star power was at its best. And I would say late eighties to early two thousands, uh-huh. the star was the brand, the star was the franchise. Um, so it would be a, it's a Will Ferrell comedy neat or a, it's a Schwarzenegger action adventure movie. Cool. It's a Julia Roberts dramatic comedy. Super. You know, and that that's why... Denzel might which, win an Oscar. He won't, yes. but hey, okay, he's there. <laughs> uh, or, you know, and this is one that still exists, you know, Denzel Washington, Righteous Revenger Man. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's why people were able and willing to show up for quote-unquote original concepts because they were showing up for who was in the movie and to a certain extent who directed the movie, but... 
much less so except in certain circumstances well, that's the, so that's the tom cruise factor it's like cruise yeah, yeah. in this plus like coppola plus, yeah. plus scorsese plus uh, uh, de palma plus you know yeah. oh, i i would say that was more that nerds like us knew who that who they were i don't i don't think too many people showed up for you know uh mr impossible because oh it's that guy that did the untouchables and body double for sure. Uh, I, I just, but yeah. the fact that he worked with those people meant those movies were more likely to be good. Yeah. And in the way we talk about Leonardo DiCaprio today, for a while, Tom Cruise's brand was excellence. Um, and, and to a certain extent, so was Stallone's. I mean, even the films that didn't do terribly well between Rocky and Rocky II First Blood, they got decent reviews and they were well-liked. Really, the first genuinely bad movie he made was Staying Alive, which is the yeah, sequel of Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever, yeah. Um, and I remember you know, reading reviews you know, long after the fact. It was sort of weird to hear people talking about Stallone, like, wow, Stallone made a bad movie. How unusual. Because you know, I'm reading this back in you know, 1991, where he had just done you know, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, where you almost expected Stallone movies to be bad. Yeah, he didn't uh, quite crack the comedy thing with that and like yeah. Oscar, which I know. Even people, Oscar is, I like Oscar. I know Ebert likes it. He got two thumbs up. Like people like Oscar, <laughs> but I mean, it did. He didn't. He wasn't. You know, he wasn't making twins money off of those movies. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and other than you know, there was a very brief period when he sort of said, "Okay, I am an action star. That's what I what people want to see." So I'm going to be the best action star I can be. And that's where you get from 93 to 97. Yeah. Cliffhanger, Evolution Man, Specialist. Man. You know, most Dredd. of these films. Yeah, Dredd, Dredd was kind of a bomb, but I mean. Um, Copland was sort of the end of that phase. Copland was like the, I can be action guy. I can be. The, yeah. Like Stallone has maybe the most unforgivens of any actor. <laughs> like he's, yes. He's, he's done so many. Like, I'm going to make my unforgiven. And like so many of his movies seem to reflect this. Like he's always like repentant in a lot of his like later um, day action films. And uh, just, you know, for those who care in the book, he kills that kid. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I've read the summaries of like, yeah, I, I yeah. see a lot of these where where they change it around. Um, and it's I, I that you make a movie like this and you like, I mean, that that's there's a lot that's there's a pretty significant change. And the author seems to be like all it's like, yeah, all right, you made this movie. Like, he seems like he's pretty game for how they how the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, the book. it's really I mean, you basically took out the thing that made the book the book mm -hmm. and you replaced it with something else. You know, it would be like, I'm trying to think of a goofy example here, you know, you know, an adaptation of Goldfinger where he's not really a spy, where he gets caught up in a North by Northwest style, style adventure. Mm -hmm. um, but it works, obviously. Um, and it helped that while the book was popular, the idea of Stallone in a survivalist action adventure movie was more popular. So it, you didn't have a bunch of people, you know, boo-hoo, not my first blood, hashtag. A couple other actors considered for uh, the part of Rambo. We have Jeff Bridges, Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, Paul Newman, Nick Nolte, Ryan O'Neill, and John Travolta. <laughs> I can see some of those. I'd be, um, I'd be curious to see the Bridges take on this movie. Uh, Cutter's Way. Huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
comparatively. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, um, again, there were a lot of movies about men who fought in Vietnam and came back damaged, understandably. Um, that was a very ripe avenue for dramas. Back when a movie like that maybe cost $5 million and might make 10 to 15 domestic and be rented forever. You know, a movie I like a lot that I was thinking of while watching this again is uh, The Hunted, the William Friedkin film with uh, oh, yeah. Benicio and Tommy Lee Jones, uh, which has a lot in common and is very, oh, yeah. what I like a lot about it, and it's very typical Friedkin, it's very stripped down. There is yeah. like, I mean, it's 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 like, a, it, I forget, it's it can't be more than two hours, but it's very no. like, just to the point of like this guy's out there he has a motivation Tommy Lee Jones is brought in to get go after him Tommy Lee Jones is basically just like a more active Troutman <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's and I again you know rip off don't remake it's mm-hmm. very much trying to be a modern first blood for sure and, and it has but it's some, good <laughs> yeah it's good and it has some crazy good knife fights and it's like, yeah they're very intense you feel bad oh. when anybody gets slashed because like that probably hurt like that's how they feel oh thank you for reminding me of that movie it's a good I haven't one. thought about it in a while, and I like it. Yeah. Brandon, we were just talking about The Hunted, the William Friedkin film. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's decent. That's a good one. And it very, I was, it would, it call, it was, I was, it was, I was calling it to mind while watching this movie the other day because it has a lot of in common. Brandon's been off for a bit, finally got back on, so good. <laughs> I'm on my, I'm on my phone, by the way, if my audio has changed. Wow. For some so, reason, my internet tells me connected, but no internet service. Mm-hmm. Don't know why. Um, it's snowing now. Where's, De- where's Dennehy at this point? Like, is he popular? Like uh, he... I think he's just a working, respected actor. Uh-huh. I don't think he was ever a star in the original sense. Sure. Um, yeah. Probably the closest he got would probably be FX. Oh yeah, because well, you got a franchise out of that. Yeah. Where's that reboot? Yeah. I'm waiting for it. That actually would make sense. It would. That because been, like I've been thinking. Mm-hmm. Picture. I, I thought for that for a while, like that'd be like a good, yeah. that'd just be a good show. Like that seems like an yeah. easy talk concept for a TV show. Um, put it on, put it on FX too. It'd be really confusing. <laughs> Hashtag FXFX. <laughs> that would be C O L. I mean, the movie is so good it inspired a network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the, the best subtitles of all time: The What's Deadly the... Art of Illusion. Deadly Art of Illusion. That's what I was about, yeah. yeah. Um. I like when this guy throws his helmet down. And that was another weird example on, of something you saw here and there. Well, go ahead. Sorry, he's done. Oh, well, you have a, a an R-rated film that becomes unexpectedly successful, so they make a sequel PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though it's the... not that much less violent than the first one. Who's the co-star? Uh, it's the guy from Cocktail, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Brian? Brian... Of oh, the Bryans, yeah, they have, they're both Brian Bryans, Brown. Like, Brian Brown. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um. But it's a cool. Pro- what's what's the whole thing? Like it's a like it's a cop and a special effects artist, right? Like they have to like yeah. team up. He gets recruited by cops, so he thinks to stage a fake assassination of someone who's in witness protection. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember all the details because it's been a very time since I saw it. But I think it turns out that the people that recruited him were actually bad guys, and they really did kill the guy. And he is framed for that murder and goes on the run. 
They took their time in that sequel because it's like what eighty six, and they yeah, until ninety one. They're like, guys, I, guess what? Yeah. Your fa- your favorite duo's back. Martin Riggs, like we just had the last one. No, <laughs> not them. <laughs> Leo McCarthy and Rolly Tyler. <laughs> Think well, bigger. They can't, they can't all Think be another stakeout. <laughs> what? Nick Nolte and Eddie are back? Nope, not them. <laughs> uh. Tango and Cash. We didn't like it then. We only kind of like it now because of the title. Nope, not them either. Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez? No. <laughs> another, another? <laughs> that's another R-rated movie that spawned a PG-13 sequel. Well, you got that. You had that family Rosie audience. Exactly. That film, you know, it, it's sort of weird how you know that film made exactly the same amount of money as Lethal Weapon, the first one. The sequel did not do as well as Lethal Weapon two by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um. You know, actually, you know, we were talking, we touched a little bit about like Rambo, you know, selling toward the kids being an R-rated franchise. The mm-hmm. RoboCop series actually bent towards that with the third one. That was, I think, believe yeah. it was PG-13. Well, at that point, in- you had like, intentionally and everything too. Yeah, which yeah. is a, especially after the the second one, which is very nihilistic and very yeah. hard R, like really like like the first one is Verhoeven style R, but the second one's like. Let's just make this like unpleasant. Like that's like their their model to go. Just typical <laughs> typical Kirshner sequel, man. That's what mm-hmm. he does with the second one. <laughs> Classic Kirshner. <laughs> yeah. um. Brian Dennehy was in Butch in Sundance the early days. Um. Yeah, I guess he's just a character. He's just a character. I'm looking at all these roles. You just kind of like. There's nothing like huge in this, and the first blood's like the biggest movie he like does. <laughs> Foul play, yeah, ten. I like all this cave stuff. I like how the the photography of all this cave stuff. I think it's very cool. Oh yeah, uh, it it really puts you in the moment. I like where Stallone is in the frame. Uh, the use of his torch. That it's just it's a very well constructed sequence. Even the corny rat stuff, it just works. And you know, it it, it very much positions him as an underdog. Yeah, which I think is part of why this film works it, it, it helped guys like you've just seen a rocket go off and so it's like we need to think bring things back to basics here <laughs> like we're just, we yeah. the rocket going off at the cave is like the you know the climax of a lot of crazy because like Stallone has a big gun at this point he's just been like stealth like stabbing people and whatnot so it's like all right let's let's bring things back down a bit and so you got this nice like now it's like like t- tassels back at his office Stallone's in a cave we're gonna talk a while about things uh, which makes me wonder about the constant action <laughs> element of this, but I mean, it is still still just kind of working his way through this stuff. So I guess it's actiony. But uh... which you, you point out, like making him feel small, like the underdog. It's it's credible how they can do that with him because I mean, I I've, I've been in his presence before. He's a large man <laughs> and a larger than life person, and to make I mean, they do it with Rocky because they can take Carl Weathers and have him stand taller than him and and talk faster and talk faster but you know having these massive caverns and you know Dennehy's pretty big guy so that kind of helps too yeah, Dennehy's tall like I like you think of Dennehy sometimes you think of him like stocky I think mainly because people associate him with Chris Farley's dad and Tommy <laughs> 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 but, but um I he is a big person like I think of like um he's prestige Joe John Baker exactly yeah <laughs> uh, but randomly i think of uh what's it the terrence malick movie <laughs> with him and um knight of cups because it's him and yeah. christian bale and and um what's his name wes bentley 
and they're all tink they're all tall drinks of waters so i'm like man that's, there's a lot of tall people in this movie <laughs> and then yeah i put him next to stallone who like you said is a big guy so but he's still taller than him it's like yeah brian denny like he's imposing like i can see why he plays authoritative figures he's like your midwest tom berenger there you go <laughs> God, i remember when he was a star how many substitutes and snipers uh, <laughs> was he that was after that was after he was a star yeah major yeah. league <laughs> major league yeah platoon oh. platoon's a huge common denominator for a lot of people yeah oh yeah the, i mean vietnam war, war movies in general tend to be common denominators for a lot of people because they're ensemble cast so you can do that but you get a lot of young actors in a lot of these movies it was the breakfast club of war movies yeah what casualties of war was the weird science of war movies yes Jesus. it was <laughs> <laughs> because they both like have very troublesome elements in them that haven't aged well in 20 years <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um, De- deer hunter was gr- the diner of them yeah. <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> actually that is pretty good the diner <laughs> put work uh, in a chimino film that would well he was wasn't he, what he was, was he was yeah. you're the dragon yeah that makes sense because like he would be perfect, and he was. He was in. He had a cameo. He had a cameo part in Heaven's Gate too. Oh, of course. Troutman, do you guys like Richard Crenna? Like, yeah. In this, like, he because he he's so like distinct. When I was watching this the other day, it's like he, he like he's not out of place, but he still has like a certain feel that's very alien to like a lot of. At least the outside element here. For sure, it it just feels like it's so much. I guess. Um, well, yeah, but he he does, and again, you know, saying he's in a different movie is probably over the top, but yeah, yeah. he certainly stands out, and I think intentionally. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody, well, everybody here is frantic, and he's calm, collected. Yeah. He's very calculated. Like Harrison Ford, he's getting yeah. frantic. Yes. Um, he, you know, he's very, you know, snappily dressed. His hair is combed. You know, he's he's not. <laughs> the mark of professionalism his his hair is combed well i mean <laughs> i know put, i know you're, he you're puts right product <laughs> in his hair that's how yeah. you can tell he puts product um let's see george miller was in was it was a approach to direct this oh. after i guess road warrior 2 <laughs> or sorry mad max 2 road warrior I don't see him ever doing it, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. They had conversations. There's a free meal for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, something Rambo is very much associated with that's not in this movie is the bow and arrow. Uh, yeah. We, right. we got a lot of different weapons in this movie that Rambo relies on, but no bow and arrow. But that becomes like, like when it, when you think of Rambo, it tends to be either like a giant M16 or a bow and arrow in his hand. Yeah. Like that's become a staple. Now, of hunting of... knife, yes. The bow and arrow, no. Hunting knife for sure, yeah. So yeah, yeah, bow and arrow. You tell that to the guy outside the wax museum on Hollywood Boulevard. So you, you <laughs> toss that bow and arrow, sir. <laughs> um, well, and you know, obviously speaking, the what we think of when we think of Rambo is how he looks in the second movie. Yeah. You know, uh, Chisel. And what parodies have brought about? Yeah, yeah. Brought. Um, I could use more parodies of the first Rambo, specifically the end sequence. <laughs> like, could you imagine, like, I don't know, like Charlie Day and It's Always Sunny giving like the whole First Blood monologue? <laughs> I mean, it's weird what we think of it. Like, I mean, going back to like 
uh, like Frankenstein's monster with the people do when they do an impression of him, they stick their arms out. That's from mm-hmm. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, not or, the original. Or, or Igor. Yeah. Or brains with Return of the Living Dead as opposed to Night of the Living Dead, where zombie like where zombies don't generally say brains. It's only that movie specifically. Yeah, Return of the Living Dead thing. did it. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, zombies aren't talking. Romero's <laughs> Romero doesn't have time for that, except in Dawn of their Day of the Dead. Where he's like, all right, <laughs> they've been around. They can say some stuff. Yes. <laughs> Choke on them. Um, now Rambo's like, what is the goal with his at this point with Rambo? Survive. Now he basically wants to blow up the town. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he is intending to get a bunch of weapons and just make trouble. <laughs> so... So, because we we talk about the book and how he does end up murdering a town, uh, this movie just basically puts him on the path to do so without actually con- succeeding in said goal. Yes. Um. But they want to get like because I've re- I read a lot of reviews of this film after watching it again, and like I I see a lot of like the endings where it goes off the rails. Um. And even that, do you go? Do you recall like the general reception of this movie at the time? Like it was a hit, obviously. But I know like it has its like Ebert liked it, people, critics liked it. But was there a? Um, did it did it grow in appreciation? I guess. It yes, it's grown in appreciation because you know for a couple of reasons. A, it's much more of a drama than the sequels. Mm-hmm. Um. And you know, just by default, it's much more of a drama than what we consider to be an action movie by today's standards. Even though there is lots of action and stunt work, et cetera, et cetera, it does feel more like a quote-unquote real movie versus the more cartoonish sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, again, whether that's a fair comparison... Eh. Honestly, I think the third one's the only one that would qualify as a little cartoonish. Yeah. Uh, the second I, one, in its time, was not cartoonish. Yeah. It, 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 it may now have tropes that it invented that people watch them with those in mind yes but but it was probably seen maybe like closer to this than the third one and because i mean he you know it's a 95 minute movie he doesn't kill anybody for the first act of the film and he doesn't go quote-unquote rambo until the very end it gives him that um, big close-up where he's shooting the gun and yeah, he's yeah. shooting the gun then he raises the gun in the air and screams and shoots the gun <laughs> Well, I just mean even, you know, him just you know, liberating the POWs and just blowing the crap out of everybody. No, yeah, I get it. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's he's just supposed point, to go take pictures and research in that movie. That's, that's um, his whole mission. Which apparently he's terrible at following orders because, right. you know. John Jay. Um, but that was the now, cool thing in the 80s. You, the guy, your hero, he only did good when he didn't follow orders yeah. or break, when he broke the rules. That's when he was on his pension. Um, and then you get to Bruce Willis, who changes the game for Die Hard. Where it's like, mm-hmm. well, not only is he underqualified to an extent, he's not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> like... <laughs> um, now, the, what I find interesting about the third one, which you know I think works on its own merits, is that it's almost a fantasy in the idea of John Rambo fighting a just cause with no shades of gray and winning. In a way that, you know, he gets to, you know, he gets to fight in a just war and win the day. And that's how he finds, you know, he finds his peace. And, you know, assuming the fourth film never happened, you know, he writes off with Trotman and happily ever after. And frankly, as much as I like the fourth one, and I do, it almost acts like the third one never happened. 
Well, I mean, it could almost be like the first, the second one never happened too. I mean, you're picking up yeah. with him. It just, it's just a kind of one-off story. Yeah. I, I mean, at the same time, you have so much time in between them where, I mean, it's, it's like looking at like Force Awakens where it's like it's called Episode Seven, but it seems like it's Episode Ten. Like we've missed a lot of stuff in between where there could have been a lot of acknowledgement for the things that had happened or whatnot. But you just kind of get to this story now. I think Rambo it kind of functions. There was like, well, he's, he's old. Like he's had a lot of time to like deal with the things that have happened in those two other movies or whatnot. Before you get this all new tale. Um, talk about the sequel. Brandon, do you, I mean, I assume you like all the sequels as well to some degree. I mean, if I, I have my fun with them. I don't take them too seriously. Um, I think they're all very entertaining. Um, I know there's a lot of, People taking issue with uh, take issue with the you know things that happen in the fourth one, but I just I just see it in a, at a core level of action movie: good guy, bad guys, bad guys do bad things. Rambo loses a shit. There's a lot of eye popping um, violence in that movie, which to me the shock value at the time was highly entertaining. But I, I don't know; it's not like a series I just continue to return to. I'm pretty fond of the first one. Sorry, like the, the third one, least of them all, but I don't know. I do enjoy them. But th- though my preferred Stallone series is Rocky. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I very much view, you know, if you were reading this earlier, to me, Rambo, is, the fourth one, is very much his Unforgiven. The yeah. idea that he's almost apologizing for the pop culture impact of the first, the two sequels and the false sort of the false confidence that it gave America <laughs> in mm-hmm. a skewed way. Um, and then it came out toward the tail end of the Bush administration. Um, again, I don't think he was particularly playing partisan politics. But, the, you know, it certainly is a comment on, you know, a rebuttal of the whole one man can make a difference thing and re- a rebuttal on the idea that, oh, if we had just let Rambo do people like Rambo do what Rambo's trained to do, we would have won Vietnam or we would have taken out Saddam in 91 or yada, yada, yada. You know, the fourth film is very much a rebuttal of that idea. Um, all of the violence is viewed as a tragic and, and a moral defeat. Um and I know I, I've said this a lot because, you know, I'm glad I saw it, you know, not in a theater because I imagine I would have liked it less if I had heard a bunch of, you know, teens and college kids whooping and hollering every time Rambo blew somebody up. And as I've noted, that's exactly why I didn't like the movie. Yeah. I didn't like the environment I was in watching it. It just made it yeah. not enjoyable where and again, having said that this, that was the first Rambo movie that I feel I've seen in whole it was just like, you know, I was game for what? Because I was like, all right, someone's yeah. going to put, and like, I'm just going off of my impression of Rambo. It's like, cool, all right, a big action movie is going to do a bunch of stuff. But it's just the way it was handled just bugged me in yeah. terms of like how we're putting it on display versus, yes, the audience I'm watching it with, where there's a lot of like, you know, there's, it's not just that he's blowing up a bunch of shit. There's like terrible things happening to people in that movie. Yes. And it's like, this is just not fun. Like, I'm not, I'm not having oh. fun with this movie. And so I was like, I, I don't know what I was supposed to be prepared for, but it wasn't whatever this is. <laughs> um, well, that's fair, because it certainly was sold as a, you know, as a relatively crowd-pleasing action-adventure movie. 
it was trying to do both because you have yes. like Stallone given lines like you ain't changing nothing and like all yeah. this like re- reflective mm-hmm. stuff and versus like the the bright eyed people that are going into what Vietnam or whatever to try to you Burma. Know, do Burma. That's yeah. Burma's a yeah. war zone. That was the other big line of the trailer. Um, you know, you have you have these kind of naive people tr- trying to make some kind of difference or whatnot, and you're selling like Rambo's going to have a big bow and arrow and he's going to take people down, but he's also going to be reflective on the things he's done in the past. It's like, all right, <laughs> like let's see what this is. And I just Stallone's yeah. boat trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was the African king. I think uh, with Stallone. I, I would never I, he's one guy I would never accuse of like trying to milk his properties. I think he generally is invested in some of the characters he plays and he really oh, wants sure. to explore them. And like because uh, a lot of people be like, another Rocky, another. But I'm like, I think he generally just wants to write this guy's life out or, you know, pick up with these where they go or how they would react in a current climate. I think he's very interested in that. Absolutely. And I mean, Scott, you and I, we talked when Brandon, you were off the line, we talked about Arnold a bit and like he doesn't do enough sequels beyond the Terminator films to really have that kind of reflection. But I mean, at the same time, while the Terminator is not, you know, it's not an enduring character because there's multiple versions of Terminators. It he does seem to like it, it is despite how much I care for some of the sequels, there is something there to what he's trying to accomplish as a person in those movies. Meanwhile, and we've talked about this plenty of times, Willis stopped caring, and that's what made me <laughs> very upset with Willis about John McClane. He had the fourth one, which he does do like a good job of being like, I'm still this person, I'm John McClane, I have regard for this character. And then the fifth one, he's just like, I just don't, whatever, I'm throwing this all away, which makes the, it, it makes the movie that's not only bad, bad, but it makes it worse because the kind of regard he has for John McClane is out the window. Yeah. yeah. I've, I, I lose oh. respect for both the series it's and, really weird. and Willis as an actor. Because as as Stallone fell off and uh, Arnold became the governor of California, um, Stallone starts hitting like his career is straight to DVD. Willis is like still, you know, one of the biggest stars on the planet. And then when the Rocky Balboa expendable stuff comes, it like begins trading places where Stallone gets in theaters now and Arnold's in theaters now. And Bruce Willis gets five minute cameos in straight to video movies. Um, where, he gets, yeah. where he charges a million dollars a day. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, off the top of my head, was Live Free or Die Hard arguably the first kind of sort of, not even a legacy sequel, but sort of like, you know, we haven't seen this guy for many, many years, and let's see what his life's like now that he's old and, you know, over no, the hills. I think it was just another Die Hard. I don't think it was that. I think it was just trying to make another. They, I mean, the fourth yeah. one. I think they just something happened and it just took a while to get another one off the ground. Yeah, and, and mean, that was the, finally it. The, the, what was the, what was the question exactly? I, I missed it. Well, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I like Die Hard Four is it does sort of do okay. John McClane had his moment in the sun, you know, whether you count the sequels or not. Um, but you know now he's you know past his prime, yada yada yada. You know life didn't really turn out that well for him. In the same way that, you know, something like Indiana Jones, The King of the Crystal Skull, or, uh, you know, Toy Story 3, or, you know, Rocky Balboa, you know, we sort of have this, 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 you know, again, they're not unforgiven necessarily, but there's a certain template to that where, the, you know, this character that we fell in love with when they were in their peak, now they're sort of the tail end of their lives. 
and they're not only they're not only just playing an older version but they're playing one that's very reflective and even critical of what made yes. them popular to begin with which is what yes. i find fascinating that's why i love unforgiven that's why i think it's fantastic it's um, such a a fan a wonderful way to be like i've done this and i've made you know this iconic character and now i'm questioning the morals surrounding it like that's fascinating to me um and but yeah i mean I first noticed that in terms of an ongoing franchise with Die Hard, you know, Live Free or Die Hard. I'm wondering if. Oh, you meant Live Free. That. I thought you meant a good day to Die Hard. I was like, no. That's oh, God, trash. no. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah, that's good. Because it was originally going to be a jungle story. It was going to be him and Ben Affleck, no weapons in a jungle. That was like, they worked on Armageddon together. They're, Die Hard 4 was like turning a corner. They were and... best buds. He was like, anytime, anywhere. And Affleck was like, all right, let's do it. He's like, we'll get Aerosmith to sing a song son, on right? it. Sorry? I don't know if Affleck was going to play his son in that. No, but... I apologize. Did that become Tears of the Sun? Oh. Yes, yes. Yeah, one of, yes. Or one of those two war movies. Yeah, Tears, Tears of the of, Sun. There's Tears of the Sun, not like because there's yeah. Hearts War and there's Tears Hearts, of the Sun. Okay, yeah, no. Well, definitely Hearts, Hearts War is a POW picture. Yeah, that's right. what I'm saying. It's hard. I found that, by the way, big callback to what the actor that stitches themselves on accident. Um, and I thought it was this. It's the Dawn of the Dead remake where uh, where Sarah Polly is stitching Ving Rames's arm. Oh. And she actually definitely goes, she, she mishears something and goes further through than she does, than she's supposed to, and stitches the prosthetic to Ving Rames's arm. Oh. I mean, he, oh. doesn't say, he didn't say anything until after they finished filming the scene. <laughs> Are they still friends? Uh, he's, star, he's starring in their sequel to Stories We Tell, of course. <laughs> Stories We Rames. Take this waltz and shove it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marcellus Wallace story. <laughs> All about my Ving. Oh. <laughs> She's uh. like, did I hit your? Did I hit your skin? Go, go. go. So anyway, yeah, this uh. is away from Reams. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this uh. stuff. It's inside. It's creepy. It's like, tense. It's tense. Stuff. Yeah, it's like Nighthawks. Well, yeah. and this is a story that is suspenseful because it could end. It could logically end any number of different ways. Oh yeah, they can. One could shoot the other. What have you? Yeah, travel um, comes in. And during his monologue coming up, I'm not sure about his his decision to play John Rambo as John Travolta playing John Rambo. But... I I so here's the th so I was talking trying to I was getting to this with the review talk where I was curious about the review because people say like the third act is where things kind of go off the rails, or I read one where they think that the big monologue he gives it turns all the subtext into text and they didn't like it. I think Stallone is fantastic in the, the final five minutes of this movie. Oh, I think good. every, I think, I mean, I don't care that he's saying what the movie's t showing us because he's so good at delivering this speech. Like, and it, and it goes from like ramped up to really like just intensely vulnerable and sad. And you watch the and for an action movie, we've watched this macho man stitch himself up, jump off of cliffs, shoot at people, avoid rocket launchers, get into a gunfight with big old Brian Dennehy, and now he just breaks down and goes into all this emotion. And it's like this is great. Like this yeah. is mm -hmm. up until up until like Rocky Balboa, I don't think I'd seen like a better Sylvester Stallone. I mean, Copland, I guess, is good. I don't have the yeah. same regard as a lot of people do, but like. In general, when I think of like best Stallone performances, I do look at this movie and specifically because of the end of it. Like he's really good. Well, and I think people need that dialogue just to 
stop to people round who this might out. get the wrong idea from yeah the, yeah because you know, uh, again you know like Shakespeare in its day this was intended for mass audiences so sometimes you need to get the yellow highlighter out from this um and it's and, like the kind of guy he is that's what yeah. you would do like what is he supposed to do with this scene like he's he's unhinged he's suffering from PTSD he has all these cops after him what's he gonna do be like I guess I'm not gonna say nothing like he's gonna talk he's gonna say what's going on because he's he has the well, one guy in his life that actually knows him still he can go into it I mean this and, is his closing argument it's pretty much yeah it's his Jimmy Stewart scene yeah because he thinks he's gonna die here here we go nothing is over gonna um, switch it off and because he has said so little up to this point, mm-hmm. you know, this is almost, a, you know, character-wise, it's a revelation. Um, and I don't know, I never had problems understanding this particular monologue, but... Um, well, there's the other thing, too, like, I watching this again, because, again, I haven't seen this movie too many times. Yeah. So watching it the other day, I'm thinking, he sounds so, like, youthful and clear. And keep yeah. it alone, like... Mm-hmm. You know, he has a certain accent he adopts for Rocky, but also he had a stroke. So, like, he, you know, he, he has a very specific way of speaking. So the amount of clarity, let alone his kind of lack of bass in his voice compared to the Rocky persona, like, it really stands out to me here. Um, Throwing this stuff, yelling, screaming. And he just well, sits down and cries. And, you know, <laughs> part of the reason this movie was as popular as it was, is that it was dealing with the subject matter in a pure popcorn entertainment. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is all fiction. It's not, you know, a big three-hour Oscar movie, so to speak. Not, you know, though back then, those films were blockbusters too. But, you know, this was... These are the film... comic book movies that we get now. Yeah, basically, yeah. This was the equivalent of, you know, a comic book superhero movie, for lack of a better word. Yeah. But... So for a lot of people, this was their oh god, this guy, this this is how I feel, and I I can't talk to anyone about this. Um, and that's why the movie was as impactful as it was, and that's partially why the second one was as popular as it was. Along with it being a pretty solid action film, it was a huge wish fulfillment fantasy for an entire generation of people that went over there and lost. Um. And how it was exploited politically, notwithstanding, you know that was a value at that time. Yeah, because you have a character that you've you've liked from the yes. first time around. You you you've grown mm-hmm. to be with this guy. You can believe in what he does, and you also understand where he's coming from. So the idea to see him succeed, as you know, to some yeah. degree, as opposed to you know the ending we have here, it's like yeah, all right, I can I can get on board. I can understand getting on board with that. Yeah. No matter what the messaging is, I can, I can I can understand being like, well, I saw this the first time, and now the second time, you know, things are going his way more in some kind of in, in some aspects. Um, and you know, in a really skewed way, it's not unlike the first three Rocky movies. We have the first one where he loses with honor, the second one where he wins, and the third one, which is just a ridiculous action fantasy. Um, well, it's him. I mean, uh, his overconfidence and stuff getting to him. There's, there's something there. Yeah. Um, and it's weird. And and when I first saw Justice League of all things, mm-hmm. I kept thinking of how Wonder Woman's arc from Wonder Woman to Batman v Superman and Justice League felt like the first three Rambo movies, where she's 
loses and is traumatized in the first one. She tries to come back and do a, a good deed and kind of sort of succeeds, but at great terrible cost in the second one. And then the third one, they're fighting completely just war. They kick ass and take names and everybody lives happily ever after. And they save a little Russian family. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's. So 1984 is going to be how she gets a manager and like an understudy. And it's going to be like, <laughs> tough, tough times. <laughs> <laughs> or it's going to be, oh my God, it's so violent. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to go to wherever and blow people up with a giant rocket gun. Oh! On fire. I, I really oh, like how I like how understated the credits are here, where yes. he mm-hmm. just walks out of a room, just looks at Tassel, who's alive, and then just kind of keeps moving. And the credits, and are, like that's it. Like it's so, like, you know, it's and it's a it's cheesy as it is by today's standards. It's a good song. Oh, I like the song. Yeah, the sec one, the second film is terrible, but you know, Frank Stallone's singing that one. Oh, yeah. This song, Long Road, this movie, this movie could use more. This movie could use more Frank Stallone. Always, <laughs> Frank Stallone should have been one of the cops. Yeah, or like when he's on the motorcycle, he could have just been like singing on the street, <laughs> and, and someone passes him. <laughs> Get the freeze frame. Oh. No, this this picture holds up. You know, regardless of its legacy, regardless of its fran- you know, the franchise that it spawned, it is a good movie. Yeah. Um, stands alone and you know it is yeah and again it 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 is both at peace with the french the sequels and it is as different from the sequels as something like saw or star trek the motion picture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um in that the second film was the one that sort of set the template for how the franchise would be perceived where are there any other franchises like that i don't look into that that is became like a well i mean we talked about road warrior i mean I think yeah it's only that that the other the sequels are more in common with road warrior than the first mad max movie yes um well f- oh. friday the 13th the second one adds jason that is be, true yeah um i mean slasher movies in general i don't know like yeah because yeah, can... Fri- friday's or not friday nightmare's a weird one where <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah. In terms of a template, it's not so much like of a. It's the same concept, just kind of. The weird thing about the Nightmare on Elm Street films is, in a way similar to Star Trek, there's almost a standalone trilogy in the middle of that series. Right. I wrote an article about that with. uh, You did. I think I read it. Star Trek, (laughs) Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, and Elm Street all have a trilogy within their. Oh yeah, Halloween. Yeah. The 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 Jamie the 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 Jamie Stroh. Yeah. Saw. Um, doesn't Saw have like two trilogies in it? <laughs> yes. It's like the first three and like four, five, six. Don't they like both four? And the seventh one that didn't happen. Yeah, there wasn't anyway. Followed by the eighth film that also didn't happen. Yeah. What? what? Yeah. There's a Chris Rock movie, and that's all I know. Maybe that um, will happen. We'll see. I mean, Goldfinger had got kind to of just establish the temp, the Bond template at that point. Yes. Like everything just mm-hmm. kind of modeled off of that as far as Bond going forward. Um. um we mentioned Lethal Weapon, obviously. Um, oh. I had one, too. I was trying to think of that. <laughs> I mean, Bond has a... Te- I mean, they got a little bit of a trilogy with uh, You Only Live Twice, Before You Met, uh, 
for Majesty's Secret Service and Diamonds Are Forever is it's when he first discovers Blofeld, chases Blofeld again, then gets revenge on Blofeld in those With three a new movies. Face. Yeah. With yeah. a new face, yeah. Because that's the last time we see him until you, for your eyes only, right? Yeah. Unofficially. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just a bald guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the bald! I guess Paramount's got the right to it now. <laughs> it's it's interesting how how a lot of these quote unquote classic eighties films that the rights just bounce around from studio to studio. Yeah, I mean this is a studio that went under, and then Lionsgate has the U.S. Yeah. rights to it. Studio Canal, I think, it's international. Um, it's the Artisan Library that that studio went under uh, in the early two thousands, and Lionsgate bought up. Um, their library, so there's a lot of them there. Uh, Lionsgate also has a lot of the um, Miramax uh, Dimension stuff now, too. And I think they just withdrew a bid for the Miramax... Wait. Lionsgate was trying to bid on the Miramax catalog, and I think they just withdrew, and now Paramount's possibly going after it. So two companies that'll sit on movies and not release them on home video. Awesome. All for streaming now. Well, Um, with all that out of the way, uh, First Blood has ended. And uh, that's going to do it for this commentary track. <laughs> um, let's see. Where, where can people find more of you guys' work? Scott? Uh, Forbes.com. Just Google some combination of Forbes, Scott Mendelson, the ticket booths, and you will find my stuff. I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. I've got a Facebook page, and that's about it. Brandon Peters. Uh, YSOBlue.com is where you can find my typed up stuff. Uh, uh, Blu ray reviews. You can find, I have, a, I have a First Blood Part 2 and a Rambo 3 review up on there from, I believe, last year. You can you can check the 4K Ultra HD reviews on that. And uh, Cult of Cavalcades, my podcast, which uh, will be doing a First Blood Part 2 versus Commando for the king of the 80s action movies. Check Ooh. it out. I like Commando. Remind me. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find everything I do at thecodazeek.com all my stuff that I write ends up over there and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4 and uh, you can find all the other episodes of this podcast on iTunes Audioboom, Stitcher, Spotify and all that you can have our, there's our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages that are all very information various forms of a slash out now podcast or underscore podcast uh, Brandon, Scott, thank you both for joining me for this first blood commentary it was a pleasure may it not be our last blood after talking about Texas Chainsaw, we got October coming up next. That might be uh, that might be a good option for us to do on uh, the next one. Uh, but yeah, until then, we'll figure out next commentary track. Until then, uh, that's gonna do it. So so long and good night. Thank you very much.